have. Okay, kids, you make make your way out to junior church. We're going to read Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 18 today. Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to the corruption into the freedom and the of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Our family was a family of readers. When our kids were growing up, they all had their piles of books that they liked to read. And, and uh, our son never minded when we moved from one church to the next because he always thought, there's another library I can work my way through. <laughs> uh, but I, I still remember our youngest daughter, Vicky, when she was about two years old. We were all sitting in the living room reading a book, except for Vicky, because she didn't know how to read yet. And she comes walking into the room with a big stack of her books, and she said, hope somebody reads me a book. She wasn't talking very well at that point in time. She's made up for it since then. <laughs> but don't tell her I said that. <laughs> but that was her words. Hope somebody reads me a book. Now that was said with confident expectation because she had in her hands the books and she knew that somebody was going to pick her up, sit down with her, and read those books to her. We all need hope in our lives. Billy Graham back in the 90s was once asked, what is the greatest problem of our younger generation? And his reply to that was, they lack hope. And without hope, life has no meaning, and it's empty for us. But of all the people in the world today, we have hope. We have a glorious future to look forward to. We, of all people, should have an element of hope in our lives. And the reason for that is we looked last week at the fact that because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, we're heirs of God. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We have a glorious future awaiting us in glory. Now, in verse 17, he held out the possibility that while we wait for that glory to come, we may suffer some things in this life. Any of you have some suffering going on in your life this, this week? Uh, it, it, it's, it seems to be a fact of life for us. But we want to look at what do we really have to look forward to? Because he... He contrasts in verse 18 the sufferings of this life and the glory that is going to be revealed to us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he does the same thing there. He says, we do not lose heart. Though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. We have that hope that hope of glory today. And so we're going to look at three elements of hope here. 
The first one is you and I, if we've accepted Christ as our Savior, if we're heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, we do have, in verse 18, the hope of glory. Paul is a realist as he approaches this subject. He deals in verse 18 with the sufferings that we face in this life. And the fact of the matter is we all suffer. None of us are exempt from suffering. We would like to think we are, or we would like to tell God that we don't deserve it, but uh, it's a fact of life. It started back in Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve chose to sin, and the curse came upon this life because of it. I still remember sitting in a class in Multnomah, listening to the seminary professor say these words. He said, don't go into ministry until you've had a well-thought-out theology of suffering because you're going to be dealing with people that suffer one form or another there we like to think we're immune we like to think that god exists to bail us out of our problems and yet the fact of the matter is in first peter chapter 9 he says we're going to suffer the same afflictions that the people in the world suffer they get cancer we get cancer they have accidents. We have accidents. We're not immune to that, and God isn't obligated to keep us from being immune to the sufferings of life. God in his sovereignty acts as he says or thinks he should. And sometimes in the sovereignty he says no to our requests. You know, we get that doctor's diagnosis or, or we have a need, and, and we go to the Lord and we tell him how to work it out. God just sometimes says, no, you, you do that for your children. Uh, you, how many of you gave your children everything they asked for? <laughs> uh, you'd have a bunch of spoiled kids in a, in a hurry if you, if you try that there. Well, sometimes God says no, and you know what? He doesn't always tell us why he says no. Sometimes it's a spiritual battle going on in the heavenlies. You read the book of Job. Uh, Job did not understand why he was going through all of the problems that touched his life. But God did. God knew what he was doing. And, and God put him through that for a reason. Sometimes it's for the benefit of somebody else. Second Corinthians 1.3 says there are times when uh, God comforts us in our affliction. Why? So we can turn around and comfort somebody else. We, we can be the blessing that God wants us to be to somebody else. In Second Corinthians chapter 12, Sometimes God allows suffering in our lives just to demonstrate his power and his grace to us as we walk through this life. So there's many reasons why he allows that. The pain, the loss, the heartache. But notice what Paul says about all of that. He said all of the pain, the heartache of today, it's not worthy, he said, to be compared to the glory that God has prepared for us he has something far better for us down the road what we suffer today is merely temporary eternity is ahead in, in that's why paul could say in first thessalonians four thirteen, we sorrow we at the loss of a loved one but not as those that have no hope we have the hope of a glorious future ahead for us in second corinthians chapter 5 he said, therefore, being always of good courage, verse 6, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Now, that's what we struggle with. We're not home with him yet. We're still in this body. We're still in this world. But he goes on to say, we walk by what? Faith, not by sight. That's the hard part. 
He calls us to walk by faith. We, we want to walk by sight, but he calls us to walk by faith. He says, we are of good courage. To, we prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. But for one reason or another, he's left us here. We are in this world today. And can you imagine, as you think about that, all of the suffering that, that we, we experience in this life? He said, it's nothing compared to the glory that you're going to enter into someday. Can you envision that glory? Uh, you, you're well aware of the suffering. It, it touches us every day, but uh, can you imagine what is it going to be like? Uh, Paul said, I hath not seen nor ear heard the things that God hath prepared for those who love him. Just think, we're going to have a new body. And if you get tired of this old body with its aches and pains and, and limitations, we're going to have a new body. We're going to have a new home. We're going to have freedom from sin and tears and so forth. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tater once wrote these words. She said, there is not a doubt in my mind that I'll be fantastically more excited and ready for heaven than if I were on my feet. You see, suffering gets us ready for heaven. Heaven becomes our passion. Years ago, back in the 1950s, there was a Bible teacher. Any of you remember Dr. Harry Reimer? Or does that go back too far for us? <laughs> uh, Dr. Reimer was a, a, he was known through the Christian world for his books on both Bible and science. A week, week or two before he died in 1953, he was listening to Dr. Charles Fuller. Now, maybe some of you remember the old-fashioned revival hour. Uh, I'm not the only old one here. <laughs> so, some of you remember some of these things. Uh, he, on his radio program, Dr. Fuller announced that next week he was scheduled to speak about heaven. During the week, he received a letter from Dr. Reimer, which said these words, Next Sunday, you're going to talk about heaven. I'm interested in that land because I have held a clear title to a bit of property there for more than 55 years. I did not buy it. It was given to me without money, without price. But the donor purchased it for me at a tremendous sacrifice. I'm not holding it for speculation since that title is not transferable. It's not a vacant lot. For more than half a century, I've been sending materials out of which the great architect and builder of the universe has been building a home for me, a home which will never be remodeled nor repaired because it will suit me perfectly individually and will never grow old. Termites can never undermine its foundations, for they rest upon the rock of ages. Fire cannot destroy it. Floods cannot wash it away. No locks or bolts will ever be placed on its doors, for no vicious person can ever enter the land where my dwelling stands." now almost completed and almost ready for me to enter into. There's a deep valley of shadows between the place where I live in California and that to which I shall journey in a very short time. I cannot reach my heaven or my home in the city of gold without passing through this dark valley of shadows. But I am not afraid because the best friend I ever had went through the same valley long ago and drove away all its gloom. He has stuck by me through thick and thin since we became acquainted 55 years ago. And I hold his promise in printed form that he will never forsake me nor leave me alone. He will be with me as I walk through the valley of the shadows. I hope to hear your sermon on heaven next Sunday from my home in Los Angeles, but I have no assurance that I shall be able to do so. My ticket to heaven has no date marked for the journey, no return coupon, and no permit for baggage. Yet I am ready to go. I may not be here while you're talking next Sunday, but I shall meet you one day over there. 
what a tremendous view he had of the glories of the future. We get a glimpse of that glory in scriptures. The apostle Paul had a glimpse of heaven. Taken up into the third heavens, he said, the spirit of God told him, you can't reveal what you saw. Uh, Paul wrestled with that. In Philippians chapter 1, he said, if I had my choice, I'd go home. I'd be with Christ in glory. What he saw was so much better than what the suffering of this world held. But God didn't give him that choice at that point in time. Uh, John tries to paint a picture of heaven for us, does a a good job. But uh, again, as, as you think of what John writes there, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more trials that we experience in this life. I think we can let our imagination run wild. And, and I say that carefully because I know some of you have some wild imaginations. <laughs> but uh, you're never going to come close to what the glories of heaven hold for us. God has so much more prepared for us than what we can begin to think or imagine today. That leads to the hope of creation, verses 19 through 22 here. He uses creation, I believe, here as an illustration. It too If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, it was affected by the fall of man. The curse came upon the land. There were thorns. There were thistles. um, Adam had to work hard to to make a living and so forth there. It wasn't what God originally intended. It it was originally a a beautiful creation. He he uses that picture of a garden to to describe Eden for us. Uh, Once or twice a year, we, we like to walk through Manitou Park. I don't know if you've been there or not. Uh, a, a beautiful location. Uh, I, every time I walk through, I wonder, why can't my yard look like this? <laughs> why, why don't my flowers grow this way? <laughs> it, 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 uh, I just probably don't put the time and work into it that, that they do there. But it reminds us of uh, God has a beautiful creation out there for us to enjoy today. But that's just the start. He has so much more for us. Uh, Into that garden came sin and destruction. John chapter 10 said the thief comes to kill, to destroy, to ruin everything that God has. And and he has a way of destroying everything he touches. I believe we're privileged to live in a beautiful part of God's creation. I I marvel as, as we look at the creation around us. And yet... He says here, even that beautiful creation that we enjoy here groans at times. There's the pestilence that are out there, there's the pests, there's the weeds, there's the storms, the earthquakes, and so forth. Praise the Lord, the day is coming when that curse will be lifted. This world will become what God fully intended it to be. Why does he give us that illustration here? Because just like creation... You and I have that same hope. We're not all that we should be yet. God is at work in our lives. He's changing and transforming us. The day is coming when we're going to be like Jesus Christ. We're going to see him face to face and be like him. Just as we look at that hope in creation, we have that hope in our lives. So that leads to the third hope here, the hope of adoption in verses 23 and 24. Now you say, wait a minute, we covered that last week. We looked at the fact that we're adopted sons of God, and we did look at that. But the fact of the matter is, even though we are adopted sons of God, we haven't fully appropriated all the blessings of what that means. We, we, we have a portion of them today, but there's so much more coming down the road for us. Uh, 
in Second Corinthians five. Now that I got your attention, Second <laughs> Corinthians five seventeen, he says, "If any man be in Christ, he is what a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new." The problem with that verse is we haven't fully realized that yet. We we had a group that taught that. Uh, Christians can't sin because they're a new creation and so forth. And all old things have passed away. And I'd like to ask them, what about your body? You're still in the old body. You're still struggling with, with, with those issues there. We're in a process. We're being transformed into his image. I didn't think of this in time or else I would have asked Lois to have us sing it this morning. But I... Uh, 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 I'll sing it for you. No, I won't. <laughs> don't, don't, don't want you to leave there. Uh, it's a song that we're very well familiar with. It is well with my soul. I want to just read a part of the second verse. He said, my sin, oh, the joy of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. He's taken it away for us. And then in verse 3, he says, Lord, haste the day when faith shall be sight. The clouds will be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound. The Lord shall descend. Even so, as we wait for that to happen, he says, it is well with my soul. How can he say that when you consider all that he, the writer lost in that before he wrote that, those words, uh, his, lost his daughters in his, uh, at sea and so forth. You could say, it's well with my soul. Why? Because he was looking to glory. This world is temporary. It's, it, he's looking for the eternal in his life. And so as we await that day, he says, we groan. There is that sense of groaning today. Any of you do some groaning this week? Not, not complaining, I mean groaning. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, we're not supposed to murmur and complain, but we do groan at times. That's just a fact of life. Uh, praise the Lord, even in the midst of our suffering, we have God's spirit to walk through that suffering with us. We're, we're not alone in the struggle there. He speaks here of the first fruits. The first fruits was those first crops, first part of the crop that came right. I remember years ago when we had our first really good garden up in Little Wet, uh, and uh, a, a beautiful large garden area. We were just waiting for that first ripe tomato. Now, I know it. By this time of year, we're getting tired of ripe tomatoes. <laughs> but uh, we watched this one nice, beautiful tomato as it turned red, and we're just about ready to pick it. The day came for us to go out and pick it. It was gone. Our neighbor saw it. <laughs> he had been watching it, and, and he told us later he picked it, and he, en he en enjoyed it. But that was the first fruits. We, 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 we didn't get the first fruits that year. Our neighbor got it for us. The first fruits speaks to the fact that there is so much more to come. In, and, and that's the idea that he has in mind here when he speaks of first fruits. We, we enjoy a measure of Christ today. We enjoy his help. We enjoy his presence. We, we enjoy his blessing. But we're just beginning to touch the, the blessings there. We, we haven't begun to scratch the surface of all that he has for us. As a matter of fact, he says in Ephesians chapter 2, I believe it's verse 7. I didn't write it down because it didn't come to my mind until just now. 
But he says, in the ages to come, he's going to show us the exceeding riches of his grace. Now, we enjoy the grace of God today. We thank the Lord for his grace. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the grace of God. But we're just starting on that process. We, we, we haven't even begun to fully understand his grace. There's so much more ahead for us. This is just the first fruits here. And so he sums it up for us in verse 24. He says, for in hope we've been saved. Hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? We haven't fully realized that hope yet. In hope we have been saved. We've been justified back in chapter 5. But in hope we look forward to a glorious tomorrow as well. That's an ongoing process that we're involved in today as he works in our life. That's what we looked at in 6 and 7 there, the process of, of sanctification there. But for us, glory is ahead. That's the end of the process. That's when we're finally with him in glory. In 1 Corinthians 13, we're, we're familiar with that. That's the love chapter. Love is kind. Love is patient. Well, you, you wish he'd left that one out, but it's in there. <laughs> and on and on he goes. And then he says, and now abideth faith, hope, and love. These three, he said, but the greatest of these is love. Why does he say that? Well, the day is coming when faith will become reality. When hope will be realized, we'll be with him in glory, but we'll have all of eternity to plumb the depths of his love. It will go on and on and on for us. And so it's the greatest of the three. The hard part, though, of this particular section of Romans chapter 8 comes out of verse 25. He says, if we hope for that we do not see, with perseverance... Another translation puts it with patience. We wait eagerly for it. Don't you wish he hadn't said that? Patience? We, we, we have need of it. We, we, we need to develop it. Why? Because we're waiting. We're on hold in a sense. Awaiting the day when Christ says it's time to come home. Until then, we'll have trials. We'll have struggles. There will be suffering in our lives. And yet, Paul said, don't lose sight of the fact that it's nothing compared to what God has prepared in eternity for you somewhere down the road. There's no doubt in God's mind that what he has started, he will finish. Philippians 1, six says, he that hath begun a good work in you is going to do what? Going to perform it until the day when we're home with Jesus Christ in glory. In Hebrews chapter 6 uh, verse 19 and 20 there. You just jot that down. You can read it on your own. But he says, we have this hope, a hope that enters in to the, beyond the veil, into the very holy of holies. It, it's so secure because it, it enters into the very presence of, of God himself. Our hope is not in ourselves. It's not in our abilities. It's in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Our future is clear because in Verse 38 and 39 of this chapter, we'll eventually get there, but he says, nothing, nothing can ever separate us from the love of Jesus Christ for us. It, it's there for us today. No matter what the trial is or the struggle, we press on, as Paul said in Philippians 3.14, we press on looking for the glory that's to come. He, he, he was looking up at what God had eventually for him. We don't need to feel sorry for ourselves 
We don't need to go through life with that poor me attitude. Why do I have to suffer? We don't always understand the why. But we know that somewhere down the road, God has something far better in store for us. Someone has wisely said, who can mind the journey when the way leads home? This world is not our home. Glorious. We look forward to that day in heaven. We need to look up, I think. We need to have that sense of hope as we walk through this life, realizing that our redemption draweth nigh. I cut out from the back of a bulletin a few years ago a little article entitled, Keep Your Fork. It's the story of a young woman who was diagnosed with a terminal illness. She was given just three months to live by the doctors that were attending to her. And so she was getting her affairs in order. She was uh, she at, at the as that three months draw came to a close. She asked her pastor to come, and she sat down with him and discussed what she wanted in her funeral service, the song she wanted, the scripture she wanted. I I, I really like somebody that does that. Uh, it, it makes it so much easier for the pastor to, to to know their final wishes there. Otherwise, you just guess at them. Uh, she even told him what outfit. I don't know why she told him this, but what outfit she wanted to be buried in. Everything was in order, and the pastor was preparing to leave, when suddenly she said, oh, there's one more thing, she said excitedly. What is that, he asked. She went on, she said, in all my years of attending church socials and potluck dinners, I always remember that when the dishes of the main course were being cleared, someone would inevitably lean over and say, keep your fork, there's more to come. It was my favorite part because I knew that something better was coming like velvety chocolate cake or deep dish apple pie, something wonderful and with substance. So I just want people to see me there in the casket with a fork in my hand. (laughs) And I want them to wonder, what's with the fork? Then I want you to tell them, keep the fork. The best is yet to come. And so that's what they did. As people walked past the casket, they saw the, what she was dressed in and so forth, but they also saw the fork, and they asked, what's with the fork? Over and over again, the pastor heard that question, and he just smiled until he gave his message. And then he told the people he could not stop thinking about the fork and that they probably would not be able to think, stop thinking about it either. He was right. So the next time you reach down for your fork, let it remind you ever so gently, the best is yet to come. Someday we will be with Christ in eternity. We will celebrate the glories of heaven together with him. As we think about that, are you ready? If he were called today, have you made your peace with God? Have you accepted him as your savior? And then if you have, what are you looking at today? Are you so focused on the trials, the pain, the suffering that you forget that glory is ahead? You forget the best is yet to be? Or are you living with that confident hope that this world is not your home? You're just headed, th- headed through it, looking to be with Christ someday in glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you that this world is not all there is for us today. We just want to say thank you, Father, that While we may suffer some light affliction, we may go through some trials as we walk through this life, that they're nothing compared to the glories that you have for us in eternity.
And we thank you, and we look forward to that in hope today, realizing that someday that hope for us will be realized. We will be with Christ in glory. Until then, give us the courage, the wisdom, the strength to persevere, knowing that Jesus Christ will one day call us home to be with himself in glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And we're going to sing in closing, When We See Christ. What a glorious day that's going to be. Gary?
to that? <laughs>